listening to the Trinity Church Chester Sermon Podcast. Trinity Church Chester is a new church seeking to reach the city with the good news of Jesus Christ. And at the heart of our ministry is our Sunday worship service, in which we hear a sermon preached from a particular part of the Bible. We're glad you're listening. We'd love to see you in person at the Welsh Presbyterian Church Building on St. John Street in the city centre. We meet there every Sunday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and you can find more details on our website trinitychester.church Come and join us as we seek to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Our scripture reading is from Psalm 1 and we're going to read that together now. So hear the word of God. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Amen. This is God's word. Well, here at Trinity, we're, um, well, we've just finished a, a series of sermons looking at the Lord's Prayer, uh, which is a well-known prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And in about a month's time, we're going to begin uh, a new sermon series on the Ten Commandments, which is the law that God commanded his people to live by. Uh, now, Often there's something of a stigma around what we might call the law in the Bible. Uh, That is to say, whilst we like thinking about God as a God of love, we don't like thinking so much about God as our lawgiver. Even in churches, even as Christians, we can begin to think that the law in the Bible is something that only Pharisee types are concerned with. Only people who are sticklers for the rules and don't appreciate how much they need God's grace care about the law we can think. Uh, And it's certainly true that Jesus frequently challenged that kind of attitude towards the law. Uh, It's certainly true that the Apostle Paul at times wrote really strongly against such an attitude. But there is another attitude towards the law that we find in the Bible. Uh, It's an attitude that views the law as a positive thing. It's an attitude that's commended to us. And we see this especially in particular Psalms. Uh, The book of Psalms is a book in the Old Testament. Uh, made up of poems or or songs that were written at various points in the history of God's people in the Old Testament, uh, the people of Israel, and they were used when the people uh, people of Israel gathered together for worship like we're doing today. And there are lots of references to the law throughout the 150 Psalms that we have in the Bible. But there are three in particular uh, that Bible scholars sometimes refer to as law Psalms because they so clearly focus on the law. Psalm 1 Psalm 19 and Psalm 119. And in these Psalms, we find a very different attitude towards the law than the one that we might be used to today, the attitude that views the law only as a negative thing. So in Psalm 1, we're told that the blessed person, the truly happy person, that is, delights in the law of the Lord, delights in it. Psalm 19 speaks of the law being perfect, speaks of it reviving the soul and rejoicing the heart. 
Psalm 119, the longest psalm in the Bible by a long way, is entirely devoted to the law. Which begs the question for us then, what are we missing? If we hear about delighting in the law and the law rejoicing the hearts, about extensive poetry being cheerfully written, reflecting on the law, and it all seems a little bit strange to us, what are we missing? Well, over the next few Sundays, we're going to look at these three psalms, Psalm 1, Psalm 19, and Psalm 119, or part of it. And, uh, and as we do so, we're going to be focusing on what each of these psalms teaches us about the law. So I want us to see three things in Psalm 1 today. I want us to see what the law is, what the law does, and how the law does it. Firstly then, what is Psalm 1 referring to when it tells us in verse 2 that the blessed person delights in the law of the Lord. Uh, well, the term law is a term that's used in the Bible to refer to the Ten Commandments, and so it certainly includes that. But the meaning of the term here in Psalm 1 is broader than that, which is to say it includes the Ten Commandments, but it isn't referring only to the Ten Commandments. So more broadly, it refers to God's instruction in general, all that God has instructed his people in. Now, for the people of the Old Testament, the people who had first read this psalm. Uh, That meant uh, the first five books of the Old Testament, as we have it, the first five books of the Bible. Uh, For us, it means the Bible as a whole, all of which we can describe as God instructing us in what we should do, but also in what we should believe, and so on. And this instruction, this law of the Lord, as Psalm 1 puts it, is designed to be lived by and not rejected. In verse 1 of the psalm, we're told that the blessed person is the person who does not reject the law of the Lord, but rejects everything that is opposed or or contrary to it. So we see that in in these three negative statements in verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. These three descriptions, the counsel of the wicked, the way of sinners, the seat of scoffers, They're not uh, descriptions of three distinct groups of people who ought to be avoided at all costs if you're going to live a blessed life. But they're simply three ways of describing the person who rejects God's law, God's instruction. And yet, each description does look at such a rejection from three different angles. So the blessed person, the psalmist teaching us, rejects any outlook on life or any worldview that is not shaped by God's law. That's what's meant by the first description, the blessed person walks not in the counsel of the wicked. The blessed person also rejects any pattern of behaviour or habits that are contrary to the instruction we find in the Bible. That's what's meant in the second description, does not stand in the way of sinners. And when we're told that the blessed person does not sit in the seat of scoffers, we're being taught that this person knows that they do not belong and they do not seek to belong among those who reject God's law, who scoff at it, who see it as being totally irrelevant. And so there's a threefold rejection in verse 1, a total rejection of a life that is contrary to God's law. And it's a rejection for the sake of living a life that is completely shaped and instructed by God's law. Because... The law of the Lord is designed to be lived by. It is instruction. Uh, It's not merely of intellectual interest. 
It's not something that's merely to be discussed and considered, but it is to be lived by. Now, it's worth taking note of something at this point as we think about verse 1 of the psalm. Um, Often we can think that the person who lives their life according to God's law, according to the Bible, does so at the cost of their freedom. So freedom, we think, is being able to do whatever we want. And anything that restricts us or limits us doing what we want takes that freedom away. But what this opening verse of Psalm 1 shows us, and what we need to recognise, is that rejecting God's law does not mean that you then live in blissful freedom, able to do whatever you want. It simply means that you live according to a different law. The person who rejects God's law in Psalm 1 does not live their life without counsel, without a particular way of looking at the world, but that person lives according to the counsel of the wicked, we're told. The person who rejects God's law is not then able to live in the freedom of doing life their way, but that person, we're told, lives in the way of sinners. All of which is to say that the choice we all face is not between God's law on the one hand and our freedom on the other. It's not a choice between a life of religion and faith and a life of personal freedom. But the choice that we all face is simply which law? Which law, whose law will we live our lives according to? And it's really quite pertinent that this psalm is all about happiness, which is what the first word of the psalm, the word blessed, means. Because for many of us, the most obvious alternate law to God's law that we feel drawn to live by is the law of happiness. That is to say, if we reject God's law as the law according to which we ought to live our lives then what often happens today is we choose instead to live according to the law of our own happiness, for the sake of our happiness, for the sake of others' happiness. Our own happiness, others' happiness, becomes the guiding principle, the law, according to which we make all of our decisions. And we look at that, and we call it freedom, but in reality it's just living according to another law. The key question is, which law is the law we're meant to live according to? Which law can truly bear our weight as we rely upon it to guide our lives and our decision-making? And the point that Psalm 1 is making is that God's law is the law we need. God's law is designed to be lived by. It bears the weight. It is not to be rejected in favour of a different law. And Psalm 1 makes this point by presenting, to, presenting us with, with two different images in order to show us what the Lord does in a person's life. For the person who accepts it on the one hand and the person who rejects it on the other. And so we've seen, first of all, what the law is. It's God's instruction to us, which is to be lived by. But secondly, I want us to see what the Lord does. Interestingly, the psalm makes it crystal clear that God's law, when it is accepted, brings happiness, brings blessing. The person who delights in the law of the Lord is called blessed, happy. And the image the psalm uses to describe this person to us is the image of a tree. The tree in Psalm 1 teaches us what true happiness consists of. So we're told in verse 3 that this tree 
is planted by streams of water. Now, that is to say that it has everything that it needs, all the resources that it needs to live and to flourish, it has access to by virtue of where it is planted. It's planted in the rich soil found here where, where two streams of water meet. And this tree, we're told again in verse 3, yields its fruit in its season. Uh, notice then that the, the tree is still subject to all the seasons of life. It's still open to all the elements, the howling wind, the beating rain, dry seasons, cold seasons. But even though it experiences all of life's seasons, it still bears fruit and its leaf does not wither. Nothing that happens to this tree stops it from fulfilling its purpose. Nothing takes away its beauty. It's a picture of true happiness. The blessed person has all that he needs, has a purpose that cannot be taken away, and a beauty that will not fade. In a nutshell, it is a life of real substance which is summed up in the closing line of verse 3 in all that he does he prospers so God's law brings not superficial but substantial happiness it brings true blessing in fact the point Psalm 1 is making is it's only God's law that can bring this The only way to blessing is through delighting in God's law. Because the second picture the psalm paints a picture of is the the person who rejects God's law. And the person who does not delight in God's law does not live by it. And the picture is is the image not of a tree but of chaff. Chaff, strange word isn't it, is the outer shell of a, a piece of grain that's just been thrown away when the grain's been harvested It serves no purpose. It's just blown along by the wind, as the psalm says in verse 4. It's really the opposite image of the tree in plant 3. The tree is planted. uh, Sorry, in verse 3, the tree is planted. The tree is rooted and enduring and purposeful. But the chaff has no roots, no purpose, no substance. True, substantial happiness on the one hand, misery on the other. Enduring purpose and beauty on the one hand. On the other hand, chaff fading into the distance as the wind blows, fading into irrelevance. And perhaps the reason why we're given just this one simple line, this one simple word picture of chaff to describe the person who rejects God's law is so that it wakes us up like a cup of cold water thrown in our face. And it forces us to confront the point that the person who rejects God's law rejects happiness. The person who rejects God's law rejects a life of substance, a life of purpose. Because what God's law does is it brings substantial happiness, true blessing. And only God's law can do this. And so thirdly, and finally, we have to ask the question, how? How does God's law do this? If God's law, his instruction to us in the Bible, which is designed to be lived by, is the only law which brings true blessing and lasting happiness, how exactly does it do it? 
Well, in the first place, it is worth noting that this is something that the law of the Lord does. Or perhaps more accurately, this is something that the Lord of the law does. He grants blessing. He grants happiness. And he does so through his law. The point is that we don't do this ourselves. At no point in Psalm 1 is the blessed person said to have blessed himself. But rather he is blessed. Just like the tree in Psalm 1 didn't plant itself in that rich soil where the streams meet, but it was planted there. In fact, somewhat ironically, the blessed person in Psalm 1 doesn't seek blessing. He's not pursuing happiness itself. What he delights in is not his own delight, but the law of the Lord. And the law of the Lord, given by the Lord of the law, grants him true happiness as he does so. It's worthwhile dwelling on that point for a moment. You do realise, don't you, that if you pursue happiness, you'll never find it. You do know that that's a true principle. Uh, Commentators and preachers who have written and preached on Psalm 1, they've often stressed that point. Happiness is always a byproduct of something else. Uh, C.S. Lewis, who's quoted in our order of worship today, he, he once wrote that the same principle is true when it comes to how we get friends. Um, he pointed out that the person who merely wants friends never gets them. You, you know what he's talking about, don't you? The person who demands that people be his friends, the person who demands that his friends should do this, this and this, is a person who just comes across as being needy and never forms true friendships. Because friendship is a, is a byproduct, something that happens as a result of a shared interest or a similar sense of humour and so on. The person who merely seeks friends never finds them. And it's the same with happiness. The person who merely seeks happiness never finds it. But the person who seeks the law of the Lord is, as a consequence, granted happiness in this full Psalm 1 sense of the term. So how how does the Lord do it? How does it bring happiness? It does does so by showing us three things. I'm going to summarise with with three words beginning with S. Sin, saviour and standards. What does the Lord do? It shows us our sin, it shows us our saviour and it shows us our standards for living. This is how the Lord brings happiness. Firstly, it shows us our sin. When we have in the Bible, sorry, what we have in the Bible is instruction from God. What we're instructed to believe, what we're instructed to do. And we don't even have to leave Psalm 1 to see this. In Psalm 1, we're being taught that we should believe that blessing is found only in living according to God's law. And so what we should do is we should trust God's word and live according to it. Yet as we're instructed in that way in Psalm 1, we should also quickly realise that we've not believed that to be true. We have not lived accordingly. We have believed that we can find blessing ourselves, that we can obtain happiness ourselves without God and his law. We've lived according to that belief. We can even take a step back and say that what Psalm 1 teaches us is that God wants us to be blessed. He wants us to be happy. The first word of this incredible book of Psalms in the Bible is the word blessed. 
Because God is here holding out to us the way of blessing. And yet as we realise that, don't we have to confess that we've lived our lives as though God is a God who wants to withhold blessing from us. To withhold happiness by restricting us, making us miserable. That belief, the belief that God is not a God who loves to bless, but a God who loves to bring misery, that belief lies pretty close to the heart of what it is to sin. Because behind every one of our sinful actions, behind every instance of our breaking God's law, is a sinful belief that God is somehow not who he says he is. So the first thing the law does is it, it shows us our sin. It shows us how far short we have fallen. It shows us how we have failed to delight in the law of the Lord and the Lord of the law. It presses upon us the reality that we deserve to be described as chaff. And that the final word for our lives deserves to be the final word of Psalm 1, perish. But the Lord doesn't only show us our sin. It also shows us our saviour. That is to say, it points us to the one who can save us from our sins. Again, we don't have to leave Psalm 1 to see this. The first verse of Psalm 1 reads, Blessed is the man. Now, there's a sense in which that could be translated as, Blessed is the man or the woman. Or blessed is the person in a general sense, as I've referred to it in this sermon. There's also good reason to translate it as we have it. Blessed is the man. Because there is one man in particular who this psalm and all of the law points to. There is one man who faithfully rejected the counsel of the wicked, the way of sinners, the seat of scoffers. There is one man who genuinely made the law of the Lord his delight and meditated on it day and night. There is one man presented to us in the Bible who fits the description of the tree in verse 3. Planted, rooted. Who endured all of life's seasons without wavering in his purpose. Whose beauty and holiness did not fade in the face of that difficulty. When Jesus Christ made his way to the cross, when he was lifted up to be crucified, he felt the howling wind, as it were. He endured the piercing cold, the unbearable heat, the lashing of hail, so to speak, as he offered up his life as a sacrifice for our sin. And yet even in that moment, even through those seasons, he never once questioned whether God really is a God who loves to bless. Not once did he reject God's law in favour of his own perceived happiness. He did not break one of God's laws. He is, as the Apostle John puts it, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the only one deserving of the title righteous that we find in verse 5 of Psalm 1. And so when we hear the law, when we hear God's instruction to us, we not only see our shortcomings, but we see our Saviour perfectly obeying where we have failed and doing so on our behalf so that he can say to us as it were come to me all you who have wearied yourselves in the search for happiness apart from God and I will give you true rest 
The law brings blessing because it reveals to us our saviour who has come to bless us by dealing with our sin. You know, a lot of Christians stop there. A lot of Christians get that the law shows us our sin and it shows us our saviour. But there is a third thing that the law shows us. Having shown us our sin and having shown us our saviour, it then shows us our standards for living. All that God instructs us in the Bible, he instructs us for our good in order to bless us. The law, it does initially out us as sinners. It does initially convict our consciences and show us our need of a saviour. But when we turn to that saviour in faith, he deals with our sin and our consciences. And the law then takes on another purpose. It shows us how to live. And it shows us how to live, not in order to restrict us in any negative sense or to rob us of our freedom, but it shows us how to live. And as it does so, it says to us, this is the law you were made to live by. There was a time when you were unable to live by it. But now that this law has shown you your sin, now that it has taken you by the hand and led you to your saviour, you have now been enabled to live according to this law. Which, by the way, is the definition of true freedom. True freedom is not being free from any restraint. It's being free to do what you were made to do. And you were made to live according to this law that belongs to this God who loves to bless and to make happy. So the law brings true happiness as it shows us our sin, as it shows us our saviour, and it shows us our standards for living. And so perhaps it makes a little bit more sense now why this person in Psalm 1 might delight in this law. The law is a delightful thing. And if you're wondering what you should go away and do, take verse 2 as your starting point. The blessed person meditates on God's law day and night. This word meditates, it means thinks. The blessed person thinks about God's law, thinks about all that we're instructed in the Bible. Is that true of you? Do you think about God's word? What might you need to do to ensure that you do think about it more? Go and do that and think. It'll be worth it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that in your kindness you show us through your word our sin. You take us, as it were, by the hand to our Saviour. And having brought us to our knees in repentance and faith, you show us how we are to live, the law that we were designed to live by. We ask, Lord, that you would enable us more and more to live by it. And so know uh, all of the, the blessed life that Psalm 1 speaks of. Help us, Lord, as we think about these things now, as we go on thinking about them. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Trinity Church Chester Sermon Podcast. We hope that this message is a blessing to you. If you'd like to know more about the Christian faith, 
what it means to live as a Christian, please do get in touch. You can email hello at trinitychester.church or head to the Connect page on our website, trinitychester.church forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you soon.